Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans 7, 12 and 8, 2. And as I read through it a couple minutes ago on the scripture, what I did is put myself in Paul's lot. And the scripture is very clear. It happens to all of us. And I can find myself sometimes wanting to do this, but I do that. And this brings it out very clearly. And put yourself in what, in Paul, what he's saying right now. Anyway, so the law is holy and commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good, then bring death to me? By no means I was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might uh, become sinful beyond measure. Well, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Well, I do not understand my own actions. Well, I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, what is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life is set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. Thank you. A couple of weeks ago, we handed out, we still have some back on the table back there, a Bible reading plan. And if you read according to that plan, if you read every day according to that plan, by the time you get uh, to a year, you will have read the whole Bible. And it turns out that doesn't, that isn't a huge amount of reading each day just a few chapters each day, I think four, maybe five some days, chapters out of the Bible. And chapters in the Bible, in case you don't know, are short. It's not like chapters in a book. You know, if you read five chapters out of a novel, it'd take you an hour or so. 
but if you read five chapters from the Bible, it'd probably take you 10 or 15 minutes. Anyway, so I just want to remind you of that. And, uh, well, maybe you think, oh, but I didn't start when everyone started. And that doesn't matter. Because you can just start where we are today. What is today? November the 3rd. So if you go into the little plan, there's a day. It will say November the 3rd. Just read whatever's there. And also I want to remind everyone, this is an opportunity, not an imposition. It's an opportunity, not a burden. There's no law in the Bible that says you personally have to read the Bible. Uh, however, the Bible is available to you these days. You realize that 500 years ago, someone like you would not have had any access to a copy of the Bible. But now you do. So if you can read the Word of God, why on earth wouldn't you? Uh, so it's an opportunity. It's not a burden. It's not a rule. So if you miss a day, no big deal. Just pick it up, look at the date, read what's for that day. And uh, don't worry about it. Uh, also, one other thing on that. Remember, you don't have to get anything out of it. Lots of us get disappointed because we think we're supposed to get some sort of magical spiritual thing happening in our lives if we just read the Bible. Well, that turns out doesn't happen every time. Might not even happen most of the time. So uh, don't look for magic. Just look for what's in there. The idea of reading through the Bible is not to get some sort of blessing for the day. The idea of reading the Bible is to just learn what's in the Bible and to begin to adjust our thinking according to the Word of God. not uh, It's not a devotional thing in that, you know, well, I need my uh, schoolwork to go well today, so I guess I better read my Bible. Then God will bless me because I'm reading my Bible. Uh, God, If you are reading your Bible, God has already blessed you by giving you the opportunity to hear His Word. So however your school meeting goes or however your office meeting goes or however your presentation goes or whatever you've got going on that day, however that goes, God's with you in his word. And uh, I don't think you're going to find a promise in the Bible that says if you read the Bible, everything will go smoothly in your life. There isn't such a promise. I think what you might find is something kind of like the opposite of that. As you read the Bible, your life is going to get more difficult, maybe, not less. Well, I was hoping to encourage you to read the Bible. How's that? So make your life difficult. Read your Bible. I also did not mean to talk that long about that. But anyway, the plan's back there. If you want one, have at it. We've been talking about... Uh, with God we live, it's a short course in the Christian life. We're calling it a quick start guide in the Christian life. And uh, you will find in your bulletin today the same outline that I gave you last time because uh, we only got uh, not very far into it last time. 
So we're going to do it again. We're going to cover the same area again today. Well, we're going to proceed from where we left off. How's that? And we're talking about the Christian life, the way we envision it here in this church. And we have five basic things. I, I don't want to call them steps exactly, but they go in this order. The Christian life always begins in belief, in faith, in trusting God and the Word of God. Whatever God tells you, you believe it, you believe in it. And the way you live your life, you really operate from whatever your deep beliefs are. And from your beliefs proceed your values. According to what you believe, you determine what matters, right? And so I can tell what really, what really you believe by looking at what really matters in your life. Uh, and then from your values proceed your mission. So here in the Church of Jesus Christ, the gospel community, the tribe of Abba, we have a mission. The main thing about us is a thing called the good news. And so news, of course, especially good news, is something you happily announce. Uh, so we have the mission. Jesus says, go and announce the gospel everywhere to everyone all the time. Wherever you are, announce the gospel. So that's our mission. And then if we have a certain mission, of course, then we do certain things. We have activities. Here's one, preaching. And, uh, of course, only one of us preaches at one time. It would be kind of funny if we were had six or seven people preaching at the same time. However, uh, preaching is not limited to the preacher. In fact, the word that in the English New Testament is translated, go therefore and preach the gospel to every living creature, that word preach, uh, you could have translated that word announce, tell, proclaim. Of course, anyone and every, anyone who knows the good news can tell the good news. Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again, and we have new life in him by faith. That was the whole gospel right there. One sentence. In the 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Here's the gospel which I, by which you are saved. And that's exactly what it said. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, rose again the third day according to the scripture. And we access that reality by trusting in him. By simply receiving it, by saying, okay, yeah, I'll have that. Thank you. Sometimes we think faith is a work. Faith is not a work. Faith is simply saying yes to the gift of God. Trusting that it's true. Trusting him when he says, I promise, 
I promise you eternal life if you just take it. And we say, okay, I take it. That's faith. There's not a lot to be done. Now, as we go in life, we walk by faith. We learn to trust him for this and for this. We see God now as our Abba, our great father, our provider, the source of every good gift. So we ask him. We look for his provision. We live in that. We grow in faith. When the Bible talks about Christian growth, it always talks about growing in grace. When we think about Christian growth, we always talk about growing in our own personally righteous behavior. That is not the way the Bible talks about it. We grow in grace. Now that does result in more personally righteous behavior, of course. But everything always begins in faith. No matter how long you've been a Christian, tomorrow morning you begin in faith. You do not jump over faith to good deeds. If you do, you are a Pharisee. If you say, just tell me what to do and I'll get on that, that's what the Pharisees did. If you say, Lord Jesus, if you don't help me, I am a lost cause even now today. I've been a Christian for 53 years. Okay, four, 50, okay, yeah, 54 years. And if he does not bring it, I am lost. If the Spirit of God does not work in me, if I don't trust him to provide, I am am a failure as a Christian. I must begin trusting in him, looking to him. This is why Paul says, pray without ceasing. It's not like you grow to a certain level in your Christian life and then one day you sort of have it down and so you don't need God's help anymore. You don't need the cross anymore. That never happens. Why am I preaching on this so hard? Because that is what we all tend to do. We tend to think, oh yeah, I've got this now. I can handle it. Thanks, Lord. I'll, I'll see you next week at church. You see, we're involved in a battle. We live in the already... But not yet. If you are a born-again person, you are a born-again person, but you have not yet experienced salvation like you will one day experience salvation. We live in the time when I am saved and being saved and looking to be saved one day when Jesus comes. Meanwhile, we have some enemies who seek to destroy all good things. They're not particularly our enemies. They are God's enemies. But since humanity is God's great image-bearing, glorifying creation... 
the number one thing these enemies need to destroy is humanity. And we are involved in a great war over the glory of God revealed in human creation. So I said enemies, not enemy. In the scripture, there's generally speaking three enemies. There's the big enemy. The one we always think of when we talk about the enemy. The one that talked to Eve and sold her on the idea of disobeying God, of really kind of being her own God, and also sold Adam on it at the same time. Why, why don't you guys manage your own lives? I mean, God knows you're not really going to die. So go ahead. And they went ahead. And all of us went with them. That's the devil, the serpent of old, the scripture calls him. He's a big enemy. Devil's a, a, well, when the devil was first created, of course, everything that's not God was created by God, and that includes the devil. Think, why would, the God, why would God make the devil? Well, God's got a story to tell about his glory that involves sin, that involves God somehow makes the opportunity for things to be against him. Sounds, wow, it's quite, I don't know how to get my head around that, honestly. But God made the devil. Of course, when God made him, he wasn't the devil yet. You remember this. You know this. The devil is a fallen angel. He was the archangel, the angel of angels. And he spent too much time looking in the mirror, admiring himself. And he became proud. He thought he should displace God. He became God's enemy. And he has sought to destroy every good thing that God creates, especially humanity. Now, when we talk about Satan, we're, we believe Satan is a real being. Let's be clear. We believe Satan is a real personal being. He's not a human being, but he, has, he is a person. He has personhood. He has intellect, emotion, will. He's a spiritual being, fallen angel. And, of course, he took a bunch of the other angels down with him, as we know. They're all enemies of God. And because they're enemies of God, they're enemies of humanity, God's greatest creation. That's the first enemy. The second enemy is the world. Oh, I just wanted to read a couple of scriptures about Satan before I went on. Here's one from 1 Peter chapter 5. These will be familiar to you. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
You know, the devil, our enemy, the devil, would devour even a Christian. Uh, the devil can't unsave you, but he can wreck you. He's looking for the chance. It says here, resist him. Firm, now get this, in your faith. Faith. How do you resist the devil? It's not by some magical prayer formula. We do not resist the devil by some kind of abracadabra-like uh, method. All those spiritual warfare books that tell you how to hold yourself the right way or walk around something and pray over it, all of that is just somebody's making that up. How do you resist the devil? Trust in Christ. Right here. Firm in your faith. Faith. You look to him. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. Led astray from what? A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How do you resist the devil? Focus on Christ. It's that simple. The second enemy is the world. Now, when the Bible talks about the world as our enemy, and it does use the same word in other ways, but when it talks about the world as our enemy, it's simply talking about human society in rebellion against God. That's all. We all went down with Adam and Eve, and we form societies, and those societies are the enemies of God. Together we are against God. You can see this in the story of the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? God said, be fruitful, multiply, spread out over the earth. And people said, and by the way, that's about spreading God's image. That's about spreading God's reputation. That's about glorifying God. But the people said, uh, let's get together Instead of spreading out, they're getting together. And they said, let's build a giant skyscraper and make, this is literally what they said, make a name for ourselves. The problem with the Tower of Babel wasn't that God was, gonna, was worried that they'd build a ladder high enough to actually climb up and take over heaven. I don't, that's a goofy story we tell sometimes to children. But no, the problem with the Tower of Babel is it is a monument to humanity operating independently from God. Look how great we are. Kind of scares me about some of the buildings we're building now. But in any case, the problem is the world, a society in rebellion against God, a society that always encourages pride. 
You deserve it. Now stop for a second and think what the Bible says about what you deserve. It's not good. The world encourages pride. The world encourages the demonstration of human merit apart from fellowship with God. It's not a big deal that human beings are good at stuff. That's fantastic. I think some of the stuff we do, you know, it's like crazy good. Surfing is crazy good. I'm not kidding. I'm not, it's not a joke. Surfing is an amazing thing human beings do. They, they play on these waves of power. And they all say what a spiritual experience that is. And they're right. Think of any, any athletic prowess. It's amazing. Or just think of our development of science. Our way of developing thinking and looking and probing into the world around us. We detect Things we can't see. We, we know they're there before we see them because we do some math. It's amazing. It's really amazing. But the world celebrates human creativity, human invention, human prowess, human skill, human intelligence, as though... It is ours and wasn't given to us by God. And we celebrate independent human merit and thus we become the world, the enemy of God. And by the way, that is always necessarily self-destructive. So we discover atomic energy, this energy that we could use to power anything and everything for virtually for free, and we use it to blow up whole cities. It's self-destructive to operate apart from God. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's what's in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life. Pride of life. What is that? I think desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, those are kind of obvious. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. The, the desires of the eyes is what happens to you when you walk through a store. Or when you watch television and you see an ad. And you see it and you want it. That's the, that's the desires of the eyes. It's, I see, I want. I see, I want. You walk down the street and somebody drives by in a nice car and you I want that. The Bible calls that coveting. 
pride of the, the, the desires of the eyes. But what's the pride of life? Here's exactly what the pride of life is. It is what Adam and Eve did that day. I am mine. That's the pride of life. As though you created yourself. I mean, it is totally foolish, but it is a disease with which we are all infected. It is the common belief set of the world, human society operating apart from God. It's we, it's the Tower of Babel. It's we are our own God. Thank you very much. We'll let you know if we need you, God. Pride of life. These things, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from God, not from the Father. It is from the world. Then he says, and the world is passing away. Along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This reminds me of that saying of Jesus, this is the will of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's who abides forever. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. That's the will of God. The world is passing away. The world is passing away. Does the world look successful to you? It looks successful, especially in uh, this current period when things economically are generally kind of on a upward path. That looks successful. But if we succeed apart from God, we are succeeding at dying. No matter how rich you get, no matter how comfortable you are, if you are apart from God, you are dying. So the world might look successful, but according to the word of God, the world is passing away. You think the world is fashionable, sophisticated, Smart, cool, the thing, the, the in thing. And when you think that, you are being sold a bill of goods by the world. As the scripture says, the world is going rapidly out of style. Today, it's very popular to talk, for people to talk about being on the right side of history in various ways, some of which are, frankly, sinful. I have to agree with this to be on the right side of history, this thing that the Bible calls a, an abomination. And so I am judged by the world to be on the wrong side of history, but the world is passing away, not me. I am in Christ. I am not passing away. 
I am what's coming. You and me in the resurrection, we are the thing that is and will be and the good and the righteous and the true. Humanity as intended by God, restored in Christ. I'm just trying to sell you on the idea. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Christ. The world will look at you like a loser. Look back. You are not the loser if you are in Christ. Your life is solved if you are in Christ. You have the promise of eternal life if you are in Christ. Of eternal, joyful fellowship with the living God if you are in Christ. Do not be fooled. Well, this brings us to the third enemy. Turns out the third enemy is the worst one. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky enemy this one is. The world, you know, once you get your head right, the world is pretty obvious. And the only way the devil really gets at you is through the world. But, the, you know, the devil might whisper something in your ear, I guess. It's all pretty obvious. But here's the thing. Apart from this enemy, the devil and the world would have no access to you whatsoever. The devil, except for this. The world... You wouldn't care how rich anyone is. You wouldn't care how stylish you are. You wouldn't have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, except for this enemy. The world's appeal is through this enemy. The devil's appeal is to this enemy. This enemy is you. Sorry. You've heard that saying, you're your own worst enemy. That is exactly true of every Christian. Every one of us. I am my own worst enemy because I am sneaky, deceitful. The script, you know, the scripture is not nice. Have you noticed? You know what the scripture says about me? It says, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, sick with evil. Who can even understand it? In other words, I am quite capable of telling myself total lies and believing them. I can even know I'm lying to myself and yet still decide to believe it. <sighs> this enemy is sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. He's already there all the time. You know, the devil can only be, you know, in so many places at the same time. 
but you are always there with you. And of course, you're always operating in the world. So you walk down the street, the lust of the flesh is just like, boom, all there, like, bam, all of a sudden, and you're like loving the world. Wait. Here's, here's how the flesh really gets sneaky. Somebody like me tells you how to be good. And you decide to be good. We just talked about reading your Bible on a daily basis. Some of you are like, I'm going to read my Bible on a daily basis. That could be good. It might also be the flesh saying, I'll do what's right. I'll do what's right, and then God will like me. So sneaky. I had a seminary professor one time say, you know, the thing about learning the Word of God is the flesh loves to know the Word of God. That's how sneaky this enemy is. You know, the devil would really rather you didn't know the Word of God. The world really does not care for the Scripture or the Word of God. The world thinks that's old religious nonsense. The devil, well, he helped the world invent that idea. But, you know, the flesh, your sneaky enemy that's with you, that's you, loves to know the Word of God. Because the flesh loves to volunteer to do good. Did you know that? And if it was about doing good, the flesh would be a helpful thing, maybe. Except, oh, we remember that text we read in Romans 7. I want to do this, and I can't make myself do it. The flesh says, okay, I'll try, and then fails. And the reason it fails is because it does not possess the power to actually produce righteousness. It might do a little righteousness here and there. But even that righteousness, according to Scripture, is filthy rags because it is done apart from God. Flesh is sneaky, sneaky. When I say the flesh, here's my definition. It's you operating apart from God. As a Christian, this is what we were reading in Romans 7, we operate as the battleground of this war. Here's what Galatians 5 says. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. You, operating independently, are the enemy. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. <laughs> This text literally says, so that you cannot do what you want to do. Do you know that whatever you decide, whether you walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit, you know you are going to be disappointed? Either way. Either way, you cannot be pleased. Because if you walk in the spirit, 
you, the flesh, not happy. And if you walk in the flesh, here's something I've noticed about the Holy Spirit. I think you've probably noticed it too. When you walk in the flesh, the Holy Spirit is some sort of divine nag. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's like you're, you're going the wrong way. Back. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. This is why when you're walking in the flesh, you have a hard time going to church. Because <laughs> you know you're going to get... Uh. Here's the thing. You have to decide if you're going to be a Christian, you are not going to be happy. I'm not kidding. The spiritual you or the flesh you, one of you is going to be unhappy. But for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so what we need to say is, I'm going to live with the unhappiness of the flesh because in the spirit I am walking in eternal life and I Enjoy that reality even though I'm not entirely happy. One day, the resurrection day, this problem will be finally resolved. But for now, just go ahead and enjoy being unhappy Really, for real, until Christ returns, Christians are engaged in a spiritual war against these three enemies. The worst one is the flesh, our own desire to rely on ourselves and our own righteousness rather than to rely on Christ and to live in his righteousness, to live in fellowship with God in Christ by the Spirit. Satan and the world operate by appealing to the flesh. If there's one thing you get out of this today, this uh, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, if you want to do battle in the spiritual warfare, look in the mirror. Success. In this battle, success in this battle, like every aspect of our salvation from beginning to end, from top to bottom, is by grace, alone, through faith, alone, in Christ, alone. We look to God the Father in Christ and by the Spirit. You don't need some sort of spiritual warfare formula you don't need a magic wand. You don't need some kind of special sword or prayer strategy. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. We find power against sin only by resting in God's provision. We find the power to love only by the assurance of his love. If we walk in the Spirit, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
In Christ, our victory is already won. You might experience spiritual trials in this life, but you are assured the victory in the end, no matter what happens today. You might become discouraged today. You might get distracted by the world today. You might lapse into your own flesh ways today. But in the end, Christ will win for you. It doesn't matter. You cannot sin your way out of his salvation. It cannot be done. And the thing that empowers you to live righteously is exactly that. Resting in that. Trusting in that. In what he did. If I trust, if I focus on him, this is the promise of the word of God. If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you focus on Christ, you will live righteously. It's too simple. <laughs> the flesh wants, it, wants a list, a to-do list. Come on, let me add it. Here's, what, here's the list you need. You need the it's already done list. It's much shorter. We find the power to love through the assurance of his love. In Christ, our victory is already won. In Christ, our victory is assured each day. How do I walk today in this already not yet spiritual battlefield? In, by trusting in Christ, by looking to the Father in Christ by the Spirit. That's how. Abba. That's it. The whole thing. Ultimately, God will condemn his enemies. Hell is a real place. It is where Satan will end up. It is where demons will end up. It is where anyone who does not trust in Christ will end up. If you choose alienation from God, God will allow it. And that is the very nature of hell, permanent alienation. It's alienation from God and it's alienation from all comforting fellowship of any kind. You hear stories, you know, about this or that guy hanging out in hell with his buddies. There's no buddies. It is isolation. God will win in the end. And that brings us to this last bit. The resurrection. I wrote down on my notes here uh, the, the uh, well, the words, the lyrics to the Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You already know this is one of my favorite hymns. And it has to do with, it's a, it's a spiritual battle hymn, spiritual war hymn. I want to read it. A mighty fortress is our God. 
a bulwark, a wall, never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills, prevailing. For still, our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that might be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, that means Lord of Armies. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. That means he must win, not you. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abides. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sides. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. One little word is Abba. I know that by reading uh, Martin Luther's uh, commentary on the book of Galatians, on a passage where God, where the, where Paul writes about uh, the Spirit in us crying out, "Abba, Father," and in that, in his commentary, Martin Luther identifies that as the one little word. You see. You win in the spiritual warfare when you cry out, Father. It's that simple. When you say, wait, I'm in Christ. Daddy, help. You've won. You've won. The devil is defeated as soon as you pray. Because what the devil wants is you don't pray. Whatever you do, For heaven's sakes, do not experience fellowship with the living God in Christ by the Spirit. Don't do that. That's the worst thing that that could happen from the devil's point of view. As soon as you pray, you've already won. That's the whole thing right there. Because you can, because of the sacrifice of Christ and because the indwelling Spirit, you can march into the presence of God and demand whatever thing is on your silly little head, and he will listen to you and give you what you need. And what's good all the time, every time. In fact, he was already doing that before you got there. The war is won on the cross already. And we experience it day by day as we walk by trusting Christ by the power of the Spirit. And one day, 
we will experience the resurrection. We will be like him. 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. And we don't know what we will be yet, but we know this, that when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. That day of resurrection, when we see Christ face to face, when we experience that glorious in-person fellowship with Christ, and we immediately go, oh, that's what it should be like. And we begin to be like him because it's obvious at that point. And we experience the resurrection. Even if we have not died, we will experience the resurrection. This is the disappearance of the flesh. It doesn't mean you don't have a body. Jesus has a body. He's raised from the dead. He's raised in the body that died. It's the same body. It's just a raised one. And so it's a perfected body. And you will have the same kind of perfected body. And you will no longer be subject to the world and the devil. You will be a righteous you living in fellowship with God. Our hope is assured by the promise of God in which Jesus will return and all believers will experience the same resurrection as Jesus through which we will be delivered completely from sin and its consequences. We will enjoy full face-to-face fellowship with the Father in Christ and by the Spirit. Our humanity, according to his likeness, and in his image will be fully realized. This is life in the already and not yet. This is the life we share together in the church. If you are in Christ, you are in the church. Welcome home. Come on in. You're welcome here. We do not judge you. You're free in Christ. If you're in Christ, this is a place where we are the community that cries out, Abba, Father. Your life in the already and not yet is a life lived in this community of believers. It's a life of warfare with real enemies. The worst one is me. But I win that war every day by simply keeping my eyes fixed on my Savior. And one day, when he comes, and I see him face to face, and I experience the resurrection, these things will be one and one, once and for all. Do not let the world <laughs> look down on you. And you don't have any space for looking down on them either. Just announce the good news. Father, we give you thanks for your great goodness, for the sacrifice of Christ. And as we come to the table, Lord, today, we take it as this reminder, this renewal, this occasion for accepting 
our place in the body of Christ. Lord, we receive from you. We don't bring anything. We simply say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.